God, we thank you for this opportunity. Uh, thank you for this ministry that you've built um, over the last 34 years on this campus and generation after generation of students who've been impacted um, by this ministry along with many other great ones on this campus. And thank you particularly for David's ministry here, laid the foundation on now in which all of us are getting to um, be a part of the fruit that has uh, come since. And so I pray that you would bless our time tonight, um, bless the teaching of your word, and that we would uh, know you and, and see the supremacy and the glory of Jesus above all. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks, Reed. This is us. That's why I'm speaking tonight. Reed's got it on his iPad over there. And uh, y'all keep an eye on him, if you will. Uh, what a privilege to come back. Uh, this is great, being back on campus. I had an opportunity when Stephen, um, I pointed to her, but that's not Stephen, that's Stephen's daughter. <laughs> when when Stephen allowed me to come back and speak, and it's been great to uh, have opportunity to speak at crew from time to time, as well as uh, the NAVs and some of them meet in this building as well. Um, one of the things that's fun for me is kind of looking out and I see folks whose parents were in my ministry. I'm just curious, how many of your parents were in RUF Clemson a few years back? Did y'all see the picture that my wife and Reed put up on me on Facebook today? I don't know if you saw that. I've got pictures of your parents that look like that. So if you want to come see me afterwards, if you will. So, um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14 tonight as we continue the series in the parables. And there's a parable of a wedding feast. Let me read that and then we will uh, begin tonight. With, uh, with that passage. Luke chapter 14, verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he invited you both, will come to say to you, Give your place to this person. And you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray again. Father, by your word and spirit, would you cut to the chase in our hearts? And would you help us understand something of the counterintuitive nature of your kingdom? And would you fit us more for that kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It wasn't at a uh, wedding banquet, but it was something very similar. It was at a uh, rehearsal dinner. It reminds me something of this passage of Scripture tonight in Jesus' teaching. I was seated at a table with a groomsman and several other of his friends from a different university, different town. And as we're eating, he began to talk and talk and talk about his campus and the campus ministries at his campus that were just deficient. He didn't agree with so much of what they were doing. Then he, he began to talk about... The churches in the community in which he lived and how they just, and hearing him talk, they just didn't seem to be worthy of his attendance because he had problems with their deficiencies. Then he began to talk about Christians on his hall and Christians in his major. And he, he continued to talk just in this very disparaging way. 
And he went on and on, dominating this entire conversation and just a major put down on almost everybody. Well, he knew I was a pastor in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, and he looked at me and said, so what do you think is the greatest need in the PCA today? And I said, humility. And he got real quiet. I, I said that partly, just I wanted him to shut up. <laughs> but, but other, it's true. I know our denomination, one of the greatest needs is a need for humility. Name the denomination again. I guarantee you it's probably the greatest need in your denomination because it's probably the greatest need in the life of the Christian. Humility. Jesus is dealing with this idea of humility in this passage of Scripture. It's one of the greatest needs that we have. And Jesus is teaching that our, our natural leaning is our sinful pride that just assumes we should take the seat of honor. It, it assumes we're superior and everyone else in some form or fashion is inferior. That's the way the world operates. That's the way it sees life. It's all about self-promotion, self-assertion. And Jesus says, now when, when you come into a place, I want you to assume the opposite. I want you to take the lower seat. The setting here is a wedding banquet. And typically in a wedding banquet, as these people are coming in, the, the table would have been set somewhat in a horseshoe fashion with the most important people sitting right in the middle. And so if you wanted to be seen with the, uh, the, the really up and the up, is you would get as close to them as you could. And the most significant places were to the right and to the left. And you would want, and Jesus is observing these people as they're coming in, inching their way forward, kind of assuming that I'm supposed to be at the, the head table. And so he begins to tell them this parable. You know, you, you think you deserve the best seat in the house. We're born into this world thinking that. We assume that. Such is the prideful nature of our hearts. And Jesus begins to tell this story, and he reminds us of, of what pride is. It's, it's self-promoting. It's self-asserting. It's, it's, it's uh, me first. It's thinking too highly of ourselves. And we automatically assume we deserve the better seat. Jesus had observed that with the Pharisees. Back just a few chapters in chapter 11, the Pharisees thought very highly of themselves and they assumed they should sit in the most important seats in the synagogue. He observed it in his disciples. One day they had just gone into uh, the area of Capernaum and he could tell they were arguing about something. He said, hey, fellas, what, what are you arguing about? And they got real quiet. Remember why? The disciples were arguing in Jesus' presence about who was the greatest. Just a little bit after that, the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, actually had the audacity to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, in your kingdom, can, can one of us sit at your right and one sit at your left? They thought they deserved the best seat in the house in the kingdom of God. And, of course, the other disciples, you remember, got really ticked off at him, probably because they thought they deserved those seats. Jesus observed that is the natural tendency of the human heart. We struggle with this. We think we deserve the best seat in the house. And where we sit, with whom we sit, makes us assume we are what? We must really be somebody. Years ago, I had the privilege to speak at T4G, Together for the Gospel, in Louisville. And because I was a speaker, my wife and I got a little special badge that allowed us 
into the speaker's section. So we, we walk into this coliseum, there's 7,000 people there, and we're kind of ushered down, and we're getting closer to the front stage, and all of a sudden there are ushers there, they see our badge, they lift the rope, and we go walking in. And we find ourselves right in the midst of the inner sanctum, the holy of holies of the T4G speakers. I'm sitting with John Piper and Matt Chandler and Kevin DeYoung and Ligon Duncan. I grew up right next door to Ligon. Albert Moeller, David Platt, Mark Dever, and John MacArthur. And one night, my wife and I were sitting with an older couple, and I found out it was Ian Murray. He's written a lot of biographies, but Ian Murray was an assistant pastor to Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, you might not know who that is, but this is kind of like the <laughs> theological equivalent of sitting next to Deshaun at the Heisman Trophy Awards. And I find myself, you know, isn't it funny? We just, you know, so I look around and I see 7,000 poor commoners <laughs> and serfs that just couldn't be sitting in the holy of holies of the T4G speakers. You know, it just plays on our minds and hearts, doesn't it? Of where, who we're seen with, where we sit. And who we're sitting with, we, we begin to think we are somebody, and we want to be that somebody. And Jesus says that's not how it operates in the kingdom. But Jesus is saying, you know, go take a, a lower seat. Um, don't, don't prop yourself up. But what he's doing here is he's teaching us a deep theological truth, not just to spare us of social embarrassment. Hey, that's my seat. Go sit in the back. He's not just teaching etiquette at a banquet. Jesus is teaching us a deep spiritual truth. And in the words of John Stott, I think this is what Jesus is getting at. Every step of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. Pride is our greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. If pride is self asserting and self-assuming and self-promoting, then then what is this humility? It's self-demoting and others promoting. Uh, You see that in verse 10. Jesus says, look, you, you go sit in the lowest seat. Assume somebody else is to sit in the upper seat, in the higher seat, at the at the key banquet table. Jesus is calling for a humility. He says, no, go sit in the lower place. Go sit in the back. Sit in the shadows of the balcony. That's humility. It's self-demoting, others promoting. You see that in the life of Moses, don't you? Moses was always aware of his inability to speak. And so it caused him to depend on God. He was aware that he was an ex-con. He was a murderer who had been on the run for 40 years before he spoke before Pharaoh. He realized he stood in desperate daily need of the grace of God in his life. And so no wonder we read in Numbers that Moses was the most holy man. Not holy, but what? The most humble man on the face of the earth. John the Baptist is another great case. John the Baptist was baptizing people. Thousands and thousands were coming to him. Notoriety, popularity among the masses as thousands were coming him to to, to be baptized. But Jesus comes along the way. Remember what began to happen? 
all of a sudden the, the masses began to kind of turn and say, hey, something's going on. I think there's a miracle or something over here. You know, John's just kind of putting water on people. Let's go see something really happen. And the disciples of John get a little concerned, and they go to, they go to John because they saw him dropping in the popularity polls. And I love what John said. John chapter 3. John the Baptist said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Self-demoting, others promoting, more specifically Christ promoting. But you know, you might be thinking, well, that's John and Jesus. He doesn't have to live with my roommate. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't have to live with these people that I get a class with. And, um, but you know, that same principle in true humility is to be applied to regular folks. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in what? Humility, consider others better than yourselves. You know, that doesn't mean that um, you consider everybody a better athlete than you when they're not. It doesn't mean that you consider them a better student than you if they're not. It certainly doesn't mean we consider USC better than us because they never will be. <laughs> what does it mean to consider others better than yourselves? The ESV, English Standard Version, I think captures it better, where it says, consider others more significant than yourself. In other words, I must, in my relationships, learn to defer to others. Learn to defer to their needs. Learn to defer to their desires. Learn to defer to their expectations above my own. By the way, if you don't begin to get a grasp of that, please don't get married. <laughs> because you're going to find out what a sinner that other person is. It's this posture of humility that is self-demoting, other-promoting. But it's not a demotion of, of considering yourself that just I'm worthless. But I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, true humility is not thinking less of ourselves, although there's much truth to that. True humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. Or can we tweak C.S. Lewis this a little bit? True humility is thinking of ourselves less and others more. That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's the, the radical nature of the kingdom. James picked up on it. James in his letter wrote, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself therefore before the mighty hand of God so that in due time he may exalt you. He may lift you up. Did you notice why earlier we said pride is your greatest enemy? Did you notice from James why? Pride will make you an enemy of God. God opposes. He is in opposition to the proud. In fact, this idea of humility is not just helping us in living in the kingdom of God. It is essential for entrance into the kingdom of God. Those who are pride-filled, self-righteous, full of themselves, somehow thinking that they deserve entrance into the kingdom, if that's your posture, if that's your delusion, the door to the kingdom of God will be slammed in your face. 
But if we humble ourselves before this almighty God, if we recognize our innate, utter unworthiness to enter into the kingdom, if we understand what Jesus meant by in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, the the bankrupt, the impoverished spiritually, then what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we humble ourselves before God, acknowledging our utter unworthiness to enter his kingdom on our own and crying out to Jesus in mercy, the doors of the kingdom swing wide open. You see, this idea of humility isn't just for our sanctification. It's necessary for our salvation of repentance, humble repentance, and humble faith and trust in Jesus. And we come into the kingdom. And so what do we sing about this, this parable now of taking the lowest seat and later you'll be exalted, as it says in, in verse 11. We're seeing something of the upside down, counterintuitive, surprising nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that the way up is what? By, by way of going down. That the way to the crown is always by way of the cross. That the, the place of honor always comes through the portal of the servant's door. That's the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom of God. In fact, this is no more clearly seen than in the ministry of Jesus himself. Jesus is not just telling this parable. In his life, in his ministry, he's living it out before the disciples. Jesus provides for us uh, not just the story, not just the parable, but the pattern and, and the power of living the Christian life in this humble kingdom living. Back in Philippians chapter 2, Paul has just said, Here, here's how it applies to you. Here's how humility applies to you in your relationships with others. Consider others more significant than yourselves. And then immediately, you know what Paul does in Philippians? He points to Jesus. Verse 5, your mind, the way you think, the way you respond in this kingdom should be like that of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. If you can turn to it, or I'm just going to read it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was the form of God, God himself in the flesh, he did not count himself equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to the cross. And therefore, what does it say in verse 11 of our parable? Those who humble themselves, God will exalt. Jesus humbled himself. And then it goes on to say, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me unpack that those verses of Jesus exemplifying the very parable he's teaching by reading something, somewhat a little lengthy. I don't usually like to read this long when I'm teaching, but there's a great quote by Donald McLeod who taught at Edinburgh for years, Systematic Theology. I think he hits the nail on the head. Listen carefully to him unpacking the verses we just read about Christ. The final outworking of Christ's attitude appears in verse 7. 
The clause translated, he made himself of no reputation, literally means he emptied himself. Wherever it appears in the Greek text, the verb requires to be translated metaphorically. Here in Philippians 2.7, the best translation is, he made himself nothing. The self-emptying of Christ did not consist in his laying aside something. It didn't consist of him laying aside his deity at all. He's still fully God in human flesh. But the self-emptying of Christ, he goes on to say, is expressed in a startling paradox. He emptied himself taking. Did you notice that? He emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant. It was a subtraction by addition. And what he did take is defined as the form of a servant, the likeness of men, and the cursed death of the cross. He accepted a dramatic reduction in status undergoing a demotion and degradation so complete that at last his identity was totally obscured and all that could be seen was a man disgraced, disfigured, and damned. His death rose intensified by his terrible sense of alienation from God. And listen to what McLeod says. This willingness on our Lord's part to become nothing is decisive for your own theology of guidance. You want to know where God's leading you in his kingdom? It's to make yourself nothing. As Christians, we never have the right to put our own interests first. We have to view our options from the standpoint of others, even though this may lead to serious loss for ourselves. This is just weird, isn't it, to the world? The world thinks this is nuts. God's will for us in Christ may involve a downward rather than upward movement. A demotion rather than promotion. We have no choice entering into the Christian life is through the straight gate, always too narrow to allow us to bring the baggage of our own egoisms through. To be converted is to have accepted in principle the role of a servant so that our own personal wants and desires can never again be paramount. We live to do God's will, and that often meets us as something we shrink from, as the Lord shrank from his cup, as Moses, Jeremiah, and Paul shrank from preaching. We may go further. Not only will service come between us and our desires, it may actually come between us and our needs. It may also come between us and our needs simply because our concern to meet the needs of others makes it impossible to meet our own. I just heard a song today. Michael Card got away back in the eight, Y'all probably didn't ever heard of him. Some of you heard of him. Singing about his grandfather. And there was a line in there, evidently granddad, in the wintertime you gave your coat away because you thought somebody needed it more. A mountain man in the cold of the mountains gave his coat to somebody else on a regular basis. God's will may, for example, cut right across our temperaments. The gregarious person may be called to loneliness. The shy to intense publicity. I told you I sat with John Piper. Uh, Piper uh, is a great preacher. How many have heard John Piper? Y'all familiar with John Piper? Do you know John is so painfully shy, he was scared of his own shadow in high school? I remember talking to John. It's like the most uncomfortable thing when you talk to him one-on-one. Yes, uh-huh, yes, uh-huh. And you put him in the pulpit. God called somebody intensely shy into the arena of the public. The inescapable fact is that God's guidance for us leads to kenosis. That's the Greek word for emptying. To that self-emptiness where one only asks what best meets the needs of others.
do we really want to follow Jesus in this? Jesus is the greatest example in all of human history of one who with great joy took a demotion to serve us. And of course, as his mission was accomplished, the Father exalted him to his right hand. Do you see in this parable the upside down, counterintuitive, surprising nature of the kingdom of God? It's just different from the world. You know, as I think about this passage, the world loves rags to riches story. I love rags to riches testimonies. I mean, I, I love Dabo's story. You know, you think back to, he was homeless at one time in high school. He lived in a car with his mom and with his brother Tracy. And to see where he is today. I mean, but have y'all seen the house that he and Kathleen are building? It's like 23,000 square feet. I love those rags-to-riches stories. The world loves the rags-to-riches story. But here's what's weird about the kingdom of God. God the Father loves even more the riches-to-rags story. I read this in Table Talk earlier this month. The world celebrates an individual who started from the bottom and makes it to the top. God celebrates his son who started the top and condescended to the bottom. And he did so for us, for our salvation. Such is the celebrated life in the kingdom of God. Earlier I asked the question, why is pride our greatest enemy? And James tells us, because the God of the kingdom opposes pride. He stands against pride. But why is humility our greatest friend? Because if you're a Christian, if you've been united to Christ by faith, you know something that the world doesn't get. You have something that the world does not possess. What is it that you know about this upside-down, counterintuitive, surprising nature of the kingdom of God? It's this. Christ has already promised you And provided for you and reserved for you the best seat in the house. He really has. You are the blood-bought, honored guest at the table of the king. You already have that reserved for you. And so the Christian, above all, can afford to serve others sacrificially. Trusting in the promise of Christ that those who humble themselves before this almighty God, he himself will be exalted. And so we can afford to serve others. We we don't have to jockey for positions. We don't have to make a name for ourselves. We don't have to resume build. We don't have to work our way to sit and to be seen with the, the most gifted people. We really can sit in the shadows of the balcony and serve that person who would otherwise be sitting by themselves. We, of all people, can afford to do this because we have already been promised, it's been purchased for us in the blood of Christ, the best seat in the house. And so as we participate in this kingdom, it's weird. Jesus is teaching the way up is by the way down. And the way to the cross is always, the way to the crown is always by way of the cross. 
such as the upside-down, counterintuitive, surprising nature of the kingdom of God. And so Peter just sums it up this way. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of God. And what's the promise? He will lift you up. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess that your teaching is incredibly difficult because it goes against the grain not only of our culture and of our world, but it goes against the grain of my pride-filled heart. And so, Jesus, I pray you would continue to work your grace in my own life, in my own heart, and enable me to humble myself before your mighty hand. I pray, Father, for these dear students tonight, that you would give them such a vision of Christ and such a, a, a grand vision of your kingdom, of this counterintuitive, upside-down, surprising nature of the kingdom, that you would remind them that They don't have to jockey for positions. They don't have to make a name for themselves. They don't have to resume build in order to get this great seat. Christ, in your grace and your infinite mercy, you took the greatest degradation and demotion in the history of humanity in order that we might be raised one day. Thank you for purchasing for us and promising us and reserving us the best seat in the house blood-brought, privileged, honored guest seated at the table of the king. Lord, I pray that that reality would work out in our relationships this week. Teach us what it means to consider others more significant even than ourselves. Teach us that we really can afford to be humble because we know, O oh God, in your kingdom one day, you will lift us up. Thank you for Christ. Not only our pattern, but the power to live in a way that brings glory and honor in your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.